Hello, thank you for tuning in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. world's wells are dry. Are you digging a well to dig in to God or are you just sitting around on your dusty derriere waiting for rain? When a city is built, one of the primary considerations is that of water supply. So why was Jerusalem built on a hill with a need to dig wells? We're in the book of Jeremiah and there are some very interesting parallels to be drawn about our need for and our search for water. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 14 as we join Dr Corbett for tonight's session of Finding Truth Matters, Well Ashamed. So let's have a look at this text as we are going through uh, this book of Jeremiah. He was known as the prophet who wept, the weeping prophet. This is someone who felt what he shared. And in this section, these first 12 verses, we're going to read about a well that had run dry. And that well that had run dry brought great shame to the city because Jerusalem was, was, uh, of all the cities of the world, Jerusalem is, is unlike any other city. It's on a hill. All other cities are built beside harbours and usually by rivers. If you're going to build a city, one of the first things you want to tick, have we got a water supply? Tick. So if that's going to be your requirement for where you build a city, and by the way, they most naturally happen that way. People gather around where water is. You don't go and build a city on top of a hill where there's no natural water supply. That's where Jerusalem was. There's a really good reason, I think, for that, in that God wanted the people of Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of God, to be utterly dependent upon him. Utterly dependent upon him. Where are we going to build our capital city? On top of a hill where there's no natural water supply. We're going to what? And that's where they put the city of Jerusalem. And you'll read, as you read through the Bible, that David actually dug a, a kind of a, a, a well that, that brought water into the city. It was very clever how he did it. And as you study the engineering of water, you'll see how they used all kinds of ingenious methods to bring water uphill. Uh, someone used a great big screw and it was like it, it would bring water up a hill. Very clever. There are other ways that the ancients would bring water into a city. And Jerusalem used, largely used, a well. A well. Here's an interesting point. With with water being the symbol of life and being water being a symbol of blessing and refreshing, it's, it's, it's really interesting how often God refers to people's relationship to water not as being sourced by rain but being sourced by wells and and i I just i'm jumping ahead a little bit to application having said all that i've said but by way of preamble here sometimes we hit a dry patch in our life and we're waiting for rain any day now god's going to come through and the old testament has pictures of characters who continually hit dry patches you might remember abraham wandered the desert it's called a desert for a reason it doesn't get much rain and it says that he dug wells his son Isaac came upon some of those wells and dug them out again and you remember there was uh, a king who opposed uh, Isaac who filled in the wells and sometimes Isaac 
re-dug them and sometimes he moved on and dug another well. It's an interesting point that sometimes in our life where any day now God's going to come through, any day now God's going to send rain, I'm going to be refreshed, I'm going to come into life and God's going, but I've given you a shovel, why are you just standing there? Start digging. Someone has said if, if all you do is rake the word of God, you'll get dry leaves. But if you take a shovel to it, you might be able to dig a well, get water, get refreshed, but you also might find gold. When you dig, you might find water to refresh your soul. When you dig, you might find gold as well. And if you just rake the word of God, you'll get dry leaves. That's okay. Raking dry leaves is fine. But you might want to do with a bit of water and a bit of gold occasionally too. So let's take a shovel to this, shall we? This is well ashamed. And you'll see why in a moment. Well ashamed. Reading from verse 1 to verse 2, we're going to see that Jeremiah is going to talk about the climate. I've got some C words here to categorize this section. We're reading verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns and her gates languish. Her people lament on the ground and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. So we have a climate that's been affected by the people's sin. We come now, verses 3 to 6, and we're going to see the condition. I want you to notice this. Here's the condition of the people. This is the condition of the society to whom uh, Jeremiah is writing. It says this, verse 3, Her nobles send their servants for water. Other translations put it this way. The the nobles or the leaders, the rulers, send the young lads. Uh, The old King James says children. Uh, So the, the, the rulers send the children or the servants or the lads for water. The idea is the servants are quite young. They come to the cisterns. Cistern is another word for well. And they find no water. They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads. And I'm largely going to be speaking out of that verse in a moment. But let's keep moving on. This is the condition. Verse 4, because of the ground that is dismayed, since there is no rain on the land, the farmers are ashamed. They cover their heads I want you to recall that we've already seen that the farmers were practicing some fairly pagan, lewd, immoral acts in the the protest that these things were actually going to bring rain from heaven. And now there's no rain. So you can see from the previous 13 chapters that we've looked at, this is a big deal. Jeremiah has told them that what they were doing is wrong. He's told them that what they're doing is displeasing to the Lord. They may have told Jeremiah what I hear quite regularly whenever I tell people that this is not pleasing to God. You're just a bigot. You're intolerant. You need to get with the times. You're outdated. Pardon me, I just unloaded. But that may have been what he heard as well. Verse 5, Even the doe in the field forsakes her newborn fawn because there is no grass. Verse 6, The wild donkey stand on the bare heights They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. Got the picture? This is a bleak, bleak 
time. The condition is very bleak. We now come to verse 7. And we find Jeremiah doing something that most of the prophets did at some point. He confessed on behalf of the people. So this is the confession. Verse 7. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. Now we come to verses 8 and 9. This is the cry. So Jeremiah has confessed the sin of the people. Now he's, he's, here's a cry, a heartfelt cry. Oh, you hope of Israel, its saviour in time of trouble. Why should you be like a, notice this, stranger in the land. Notice how the people have treated God. We'll come to that in a moment. Like a traveller who turns aside to tarry for a night. Verse 9. This is the the, the cry. Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Now, here's the cause. Here's God's response. This is the cause given to Jeremiah. Here it is. Thus says the Lord concerning this people, they have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Just note this, that God is punishing them by withdrawing from them. God is punishing them by saying, if you don't want me, you can live without me. You can have the consequence of despising me. We see a similar picture in Romans chapter 1 where we read a list of sin, horrid sin, and we think, wow, God is going to punish these people for these sin. And then we're startled, we're shocked to read at the end of Romans 1 that God says something like this, that God actually handed the people over, and this wasn't why he handed them over, this is what happened because he handed them over to do what they had in their heart. And so we have a society that won't give God honour, won't give God his due, won't worship the God they were created to worship, they will worship something. And invariably, if it's not themselves, it's something they made. Whether it be an idea, a philosophy or whatever. So the cause, God identifies the cause for the climate. He identifies the cause of the condition the people are in. He says, it's because you rejected me. You've treated me like a stranger. You've treated me like a trespasser in my own land. And I get a little bit disturbed when I hear people kind of use the same reasoning today when we are proclaiming the gospel, a gospel that says this, there is a saviour who can save you from your sin. And people object and say, you can't tell them they're sinning. They're not Christians. They don't get sin." Don't tell them that. They're just pagans being pagans. Give them a break. To to which I reply, I don't even know what planet you're on. I don't normally say that. I just look at them like that. (laughs) Because the gospel is the gospel, not for Christians. The gospel is the gospel for the world. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. We all need a saviour. And some people say, oh, no, certain sins aren't worse than any other sins. That's not true. Any sin will keep you out of heaven. Any sin at all. And if you feel this, if you just get a glimpse of reality for a moment, because that is reality, 
It will change your whole life. The statement, Jesus Christ is Lord, is not a phrase. It's the most universally cosmic shattering statement that the world has ever heard. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not just Lord here on a Sunday. He's not just Lord while we're worshipping. He's Lord on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's Lord. He's not just Lord if you've made him Lord. He's your Lord even if you haven't. You may not live like he is, but he's still Lord. And we have not just the, 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 not a right to say to the world, you're breaking our Saviour's heart. We are mandated to. We're charged to. We're given a commission to do it, to go and tell the world that there is forgiveness. In Jesus Christ. And if there's no sin to be forgiven, there's no need for forgiveness. We are creatures of wrath, it says in Ephesians 1 and 2. We're the objects. We are the children of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God. And I know that there are people saying, how could, how could a good, kind, loving God send anyone to hell? No, 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 I get hell. I get hell. I, I, I totally get it. If I tell God, stick it up your jumper, don't tell me what to do. I get hell. I, I just don't get why he doesn't send me there right now. What I really don't get is why he would take enemies like that, like you and I. We were enemies of God. Don't kid yourself. Before you became a Christian, you hated God. You're an enemy of God. You were despised by God. And the only reason you're here today is because God reached out to you in grace and saved you. It's the only reason. Don't think, oh, well, that might be true for you really rotten sinners, but I'm just, a, I'm just not that rotten. I'm just a kind of mild beginner elementary sinner. Give me a break. That just shows me how much of a really expert sinner you are that you could be so deceived like that. It's good preaching, Andrew. Just. <laughs> they probably won't buy the CD, but that's okay. So Jeremiah is identifying the cause and the, 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 the condition is caused by their, by their arrogance and treating God like this. Oh, man. So Jeremiah is then charged as well. He's charged with something. We read this as we identify the cause in verse 10, where God says that he's going to remember their iniquity. He's going to punish their sins. So now we come to the charge. Jeremiah's charged with this, verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people. Now, this is what the third time the Lord has said this to him. So we're going to look at the application of this in a moment. Don't pray for the welfare of this people. Just It, it must mean that the, the prayers of God's people carry weight. It must mean that. Otherwise, God would never have to tell Jeremiah, don't do it. So the next time you pray and you think, what's the point? There is a point. And the very fact that you've got that thought coming to your head tells you the very battle we're in. We're in a battle where the enemy sows thoughts into our thinking. What's the point of praying? What's the point of worshipping? What's the point of reading the Bible? That's devilish. There is a point. There's a very good point. And it carries eternal weight. Verse 12. 
Though they fast, I will not hear their cry, and though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Why? Well, we've seen why. The previous 13 chapters have said the people have been bringing these sacrifices. On one hand, they bring sacrifices to the Lord, but then they turn around, they go into the Valley of Hinnom, and they make sacrifices to Moloch. That is double-faced, two-faced hypocrisy. And if we're going to position ourselves as a church for the harvest that God wants to bring in and use us to bring in, and by the way, I don't think the harvest is going to rain down. I think some of us are going to have to walk out of here on a Sunday with a shovel under our arm and start digging. And I'm aware that there are times when the enemy wants to get us, when we're vulnerable and when we're weak, when we're not thinking, you know, when we're tired. When we, when, you know, when, when we don't think anyone's watching and they actually are and it's at that moment that we choose to show frustration and then they go, ah, they're just like me. They haven't got real peace. I'm looking for real peace. Show me someone who's got real peace. At those points, at those times in my life, I want to make sure that if someone's watching me under pressure, they're seeing me process that pressure through a saviour, through a Lord, through a God that I have confidence in so that I'm not lashing out, so that I'm not swearing, so that I'm not putting things into my mouth that I shouldn't be putting in. I want to be living, and I'm going to use this word in a moment, a pious life. To live piously means to live rightly. You may have heard um, the word pious, you pious, whatever, in a derogatory sort of way, but it's actually... A really good word. Piety is a good word. So, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. This is not a new message. This is something that God has said through Jeremiah before. Well, let's, So, there's the 12 verses. Let's just recap this. I want, to, I want you to see something. This is now where we're going to draw some analogy from this. Jerusalem was in drought. And what's worse, the wells had run dry. Jerusalem was in drought. You know, in this situation, it's like the world. The world is in drought. If you are looking for the rains of the world to refresh your soul, they will leave you dry. The world is in drought. How do you know that? Because they, they clamour to invent so many different forms of rain, and yet they're still not satisfied. The world is in drought. And notice this, the world's wells are dry. You might go to the wells of the world. Boy, I'm bored. Boy, I really want something to satisfy my soul. And you might go to the well of alcohol and it's dry. You might go to the well of sex and it'll leave you dry. You might go to the well of drugs and it'll leave you dry and it won't satisfy your soul. You might go to the well of someone that you've put in your life as a as a almost a a saviour of your life, and they'll let you down. That well has run dry. And isn't it worse where it says here that the rulers send the children to the wells and the children have found the wells dry? Isn't it so bad when we as adults, leaders in our society, tell our children this is how you can satisfy your soul and they go and they spend the money on the material things, they get their whatever pods and they're still dry. There's only one thing I can think of that's even more tragic than that, and that is when the child of God, who has a shovel under their arm, goes to the wells of the world to find 
refreshing for their soul and they're left dry. It's about the only thing more tragic than I can think of. And church, we need to know how to dig our wells. We need to know that. So we see that the the animals didn't have any food either. The world's pastures are bare. And there are churches, unfortunately, that have gone for a whole manufactured presence of God scenario where they manufacture, they try to. They're presenting pastors that are really dust, but they're casting a spell over people. Look at the grass. Oh, look at these pastures. They're all green, but it's just dust. And that's what the world offers. And I hope as a church that that's not what we're transacting in. We want the grass to be green and we want our souls satisfied. And how does the world treat God? The world treats God like a trespasser. That's what Jeremiah said. And it does, doesn't it? God has no right to tell me what to do. And neither do you. Wow. So the world loves to wander. Christians, we should not have a wandering spirit. We should have a heart that wants to walk with God, not wander from him. And just as Jeremiah was given a charge, we too have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. And I want to put that responsibility largely into three categories. Firstly, Jeremiah's told, don't pray for these people. Why? Because we as believers have a responsibility to pray for people. Do you pray for your neighbours? I read this wonderful thing in uh, F.W. Borum's writing, I think it was, where it says that a certain minister, whenever he was on his way somewhere, would go through country towns and he would go past a church and he'd always pray for the people of that church. I thought, that's excellent. I love that. We have an obligation to pray. How many churches are now empty because someone stopped praying? How many churches are full because a whole bunch of people didn't stop praying? And whatever God does, and and we sang that song, you know, and we had a little bit of a discussion about it before the service, that there is a truth that as we pray, God promises to respond. As we pray, God will. As we call upon his name, he will respond and we should pray. So firstly, as the people of God, we should be a people of prayer. Jeremiah was. God had to, to- had to tell him to stop because of the condition of the people. We also need to be a people that, if you think about what Jeremiah is actually doing now, he's prophesying this not in the synagogue, not in the temple. He's out on the street corner. So we should be a people who are a people of preaching. Preaching, that doesn't mean you need to carry one of these around. I said a shovel, not a pulpit. So you need to... You need to be prepared to preach in the sense of just simply tell people, just as we heard Marco say, when, when someone asks the question, well, why are you a Christian? You should be able to go, well, I'm a Christian because I realised I was a sinner who needed a saviour and the only saviour there is, is Jesus. That's why I'm a Christian. Bang, you've just preached. And we should be a people who know how to preach. You don't have to close the deal right there. Not everybody you preach to will fall to their knees and go, I accept Jesus, I repent, not immediately. And thirdly, if we can be a people of prayer, a people who are prepared to share, and then thirdly, a people of piety. I used this word before, people of piety. See, why was Jerusalem in this condition? Because they weren't a people of piety. They were adulterous, idolatrous, and willfully ignorant that is they did not want to know 
what God's word said. And they got themselves into this situation. And so, here's my question as we bring this to a close. Your life right now, you're being refreshed by the Holy Spirit? Are you digging a well to dig in to God? Or are you just sitting around on your dusty derriere waiting for rain? I said it with a smile. (laughs) So the question is, are your wells dry? Because the world's wells are dry. And if they can see that we're well watered, there'll be something incredibly attractive about us. Let's pray. Father, help us to be a people who know how to dig That, Lord, even when the enemy says there's no point, even when the enemy says things to discourage us and to set us back and to hinder us, that we will be a people that will dig deep, that we will ponder, that we will take the time to dig. And, Father, I pray that for those of us who have lost our heart for the lost, we've lost our heart for those that are on your heart, Father, I pray, reinstitute in us a heart for the lost. Help us to care for people who don't know Jesus. Father, our heart is not just simply to build a church or to have a nice church. Our heart is between now and when time will run out as it's hurtling to an end, that we will be used by you to save as many as possible for a Christ-honouring eternity. And we pray, Lord, for our neighbours, our friends, our family members. And we pray, Lord, for their salvation. We pray, Lord, for our Prime Minister to come to know Christ. We pray for our Premier to come to know Christ. We pray for the leaders of our city and our valley to come to know Christ. We pray for our wayward children to return to Jesus. We pray for our mums and our dads and our aunts and our uncles and our grandparents, our sisters, our brothers. And we ask, oh God, that they would be touched by our prayers, that they would be touched by our preaching, and that, Lord, they would be attracted to our piety, we ask. Now, Lord, for those who are listening to me right now, who have never given their lives to you, and you know who they are, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, put your hand on them right now. Grip them and never let them go. And if that's you, you know that you have never received Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins, the one who can wash away your guilt, wash away your shame, who can take away everything you've ever done, all the shame associated with it, and give you a brand new start, a brand new life. It's being called being born again. If you've never experienced that, you are one prayer away from peace with God and peace with God for eternity. It's a prayer that says, oh God, I've sinned. I've broken your law and I've broken your heart. Please forgive me of my sin and come and live in my heart, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To order a CD or a DVD copy of the full version of tonight's session of Finding Truth Matters, write to us at media at lagana.org. Podcasts and other Finding Truth Matters resources are available either via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at PO Box 1143 Lagana, Tasmania 7277. 
Dr Andrew Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us tonight. We look forward to sharing with you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.